0: Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. I am Cathy Jacobs, President of the ACOI, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. In today's podcast, we are marking International Women's Day. The compliance profession is a relatively new profession. The ACOI is the largest compliance professional body in the world, and our membership is 62% female. While the compliance profession in Ireland is therefore essentially female or female-dominated, I am just the second female president in our 20-year history. So this year, in the spirit of International Women's Day 2021 theme, we in ACOI must hashtag choose to challenge. It's not enough to have female foot soldiers. We must also challenge ourselves to do better because if the last year has shown us anything, it's that female leadership is not just an equality issue, but a powerful force for a better world in and of itself. We, of course, also want to enlist our male membership and listeners to hashtag Choose to Challenge. In our October 2020 conference, we showcase the journey of compliance professionals to compliance leaders. And continuing that theme, I am very excited to welcome as my guest today some trailblazing Irish female leaders in regulation to talk to me about their own leadership experience, which I know will inspire all our members, our female members and the men too. I have talking to me today Mary Elizabeth McMahon, Director of Credit Institution Supervision at the Central Bank of Ireland, Jennifer Dolan, Assistant Commissioner for Children's Policy at the Data Protection Commission in Ireland, and Senator Fiona O'Loughlin. Mary Elizabeth is Director of Credit Institutions Supervision at the Central Bank of Ireland since July 2018, with responsibility for the overall delivery of robust authorisation and prudential supervision of credit institutions established in Ireland. This includes work as part of the single supervisory mechanism. Mary Elizabeth joined the Central Bank in 1997. Prior to her appointment as Director of Credit Institutions Supervision, she held roles as Head of Supervisory Risk Division and Deputy Head of both Banking Supervision and Insurance Divisions. Deputy Head of both Banking Supervision and Insurance Supervision Divisions at the Central Bank. Jennifer is an Assistant Commissioner with the Data Protection Commission. Having joined the DPC in 2017, Jennifer is currently the DPC's Head of Children's Policy, the focus of which is the development of formal policy positions and the preparation of guidance materials in the era of children's data protection rights. In 2019, Jennifer spearheaded a major DPC initiative involving an innovative two stream public consultation exercise on the processing of children's data and the exercise by children of their rights as d- data subjects in the digital world. Over the course of the last two years, Jennifer and her team have engaged with industry experts and bodies working in related fields with a view to examining the issues arising in relation to the processing of children's data and the rights of children as data subjects under the General Data Protection Regulation. This major project culminated in the publication of detailed guidance by the TPC in December 2020. Jennifer also represents the DPC before the National Advisory Council for Online Safety. Fiona is the chair of the Oireachtas Education and Skills Committee, which has produced 15 reports on topics such as positive mental health in schools, the challenges facing island schools, a scrutiny of education bills, the eligibility of maintenance grants to students, healthy eating for schools and education for vulnerable groups. Fiona is a member of the Future of Mental Health Committee, which examines the myriad of issues facing all stakeholders in mental health in Ireland. She's a member of the Shannon Reform Committee, Votile 100 Committee, and the inaugural Women's Caucus. She's also Vice President of the Fianna Fáil Party. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, Mary Elizabeth, Jennifer and Fiona, and a very big thank you for joining me today. So diving straight in um, on our theme of leadership, Mary Elizabeth, would you start with giving me your thoughts on what are perhaps three most important aspects or attributes of an effective leader?
1: Uh, thank you, Kathy, and um, it's a pleasure to be here. So thanks for having me. I think I, I suppose I focus first of all in terms of trust um, and being trustworthy, um, and I suppose that is about you know the behaviour that you demonstrate, how you walk the walk, uh, how you bring people with you, and uh, how you demonstrate that you uh, trust your team. I suppose. secondly, uh, I think about influence or, or being influential, um, mm-hmm. because ultimately, just because you're given a position, it doesn't mean things automatically happen. You need to mm-hmm. gain respect, uh, earn credibility and loyalty, connect with people and build relationships. And I suppose thirdly, I would um, I think about uh, having a vision and disciplined execution, I had read somewhere previously that um, a vision without uh, a task is a dream. And a task without a vision is just drudgery. So, I mean, leaders ultimately need to deliver. They need to be accountable perfor- for performance and they need to create the right conditions for execution.
0: Uh, and, and that's ultimately about working through others. I do like that quote, actually. And Jennifer, what about yourself? Um, what do you think would be the three most important attributes of a leader?
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I'm similar to Mary Elizabeth in the in the sense that I think where you need to start is trust. I think the most important thing a leader can do is develop trust among those they're leading. And I suppose when I when I talk about building trust, three kind of key attributes come to my mind. So the first of which is integrity. And I, I, by this, I mean being honest, being trustworthy and just being reliable in everything that you do and As Mary Elizabeth said, it's crucial that you follow through on your promises and your commitments. So if you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. And and this kind of attitude builds credibility and trust among those that you're reporting to, as well as external stakeholders or clients, as may be the case. And I think a second attribute that's crucial to building that trust is being an effective communicator. And I think leaders have to be able to, to articulate a particular goal or vision clearly and effectively to their team essentially if people don't understand or aren't aware of your expectations they're going to fall short it's, it's as simple as that so the more specific you can be the better I think but I think the even more important point under the the communication piece is, is that you have to have the ability to listen to people um, and to invite and encourage ideas from team members so, so that they know they're valued because I think people who feel valued and appreciated or, or who feel like what they do makes a difference will feel so much more invigorated to to push harder to achieve yeah for that organization and for me a really core part of being an effective communicator is actually being authentic I think a lot of the time people worry about using the right corporate speak or being excessively eloquent but I actually think it's just more important to find your own voice and and let who you are and 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 where you come from and what you value essentially um, come through in your interactions with people because I think that authenticity will will actually really shine through people will just be much more receptive to you as well and I guess the third attribute that I think is core to kind of building that trust that we mentioned is empathy and, and emotional intelligence and and i know empathy sometimes gets a bad rap for for being kind of a fluffy soft skill and that doesn't really have any consequence but it's actually so important um and i read a really quote from my that says people will forget what you said people will forget what you did but people will never forget um how you made them feel mm. and i think having that ability to view the world through someone else's eyes means that you can stretch and you, you can test new perspectives ideas, and ideas and putting yourself in, in someone else's shoes inevitably facilitates discussion so i mean yeah. i think looking at all these three attributes you know it's about building a solid relationship with those you're leading uh which in turn builds trust and then when there's trust it's it's been my experience that those that you lead are, are much more willing to follow you then
0: um, jennifer who, who would inspire you
2: i mean i wouldn't say yeah i have a role model as such but okay. uh, in terms of someone who I, I think is doing inspirational work at the moment I, i'd have to say um new zealand's prime minister Jacinda Ardern i mean she's New Zealand's youngest ever female prime minister. Uh, I believe she's only the, the second leader in the world to ever give birth in office. And I actually think that's a hugely important thing for, for young women starting out in their careers to, to see that you, you can be the leader of a country and still have a family. And I, I just think she embodies a lot of, of qualities that are really essential in a leader. Take, for example, her handling of, of COVID 19, which is, she's been applauded on her. And vice of action essentially resulted in less than two and a half thousand cases, I believe, and just twenty six deaths. Despite New Zealand having a population of nearly five million people, um, and she, but more importantly, she comes across very authentic. And humane and empathetic I think and I think that was really evident, evidenced um, by really human response that she, she gave when that awful terrorist attack happened in, in on a Christchurch mosque there in, in 20, uh, 2019 so I just think yeah. she's a leader that, that demonstrates that you can be empathetic and strong at the same time and I think that's a really important message to convey
0: I think her her authenticity definitely shines through because you could just see her response to the the terrorist attack was entirely natural and almost instinctive and the pandemic as well like she immediately discounted uh, you know her immunity strategy because of the implications of it for her population she's definitely a standout a standout female role model for sure me elizabeth can you uh, talk to me about um, maybe an important leadership experience that you've had something that that was a real teachable moment for you and um, the impact it had on you and and perhaps your career yeah Kathy, very happy
1: to I think just picking up on 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 Jenny's point you mentioned authenticity a couple of times I mean I, I thoroughly agree with you I think it's so important and I think that's one of the learnings actually as you go through your career is that you can be your authentic self uh, but as someone said to me before for with skill and you can decide on it ultimately in terms of what that skill is but you you can be your authentic self which I just just um you mentioned it a couple of times Jenny and I think it rings really true um absolutely Cathy in terms of my own experience I am I've been uh, uh well I was a, a frontline supervisor for for most of my career in in various different sectors but I I, I was in in banking before uh, during and after the global financial crisis and f- for me there there are certainly things that i would look back over that period and and say you know i would do things differently and 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 yes i i made made mistakes i think those types of reflections or the issues that you encountered they can leave a fairly indelible footprint on you personally and it can certainly hit your confidence and indeed you know your decision making. I think one of the most important things for me out of that experience was to ultimately make make peace with those mistakes if you want, want to call them that in, in the past but understanding that they are actually really valuable learnings and experiences that will drive your conviction or enhance your judgment and indeed your contributions going forward. Um, You add value as a result of those experiences. I mean, they're ultimately building you as a leader and and making you a better leader. So I suppose in short, for me, it was, you know, flicking that switch in my own mind about turning those negative experiences into constructive thoughts and inform then how I operate now and how I've operated the last number of years.
0: Turning to you Jenny, could you talk to me about a really important leadership experience that you've had and and what it's taught you?
2: Sure Cathy and uh, actually again picking up on on something Mary Elizabeth brought up about confidence, I actually think one of the most important aspects of leadership is having the confidence to lead and, and that's that's something that you learn for me a, a key learning experience that stands out was my first big public speaking engagement um, in London when I had to present on a, like a priority project for, for the organization and it was a project that I had led on and it was in front of a really large audience of external industry experts government bodies and NGOs so I had to be seen as, as leading by example in this regard so I was understandably very nervous in the run-up to this I was doubting my own ability it was pretty early on in my career but what gave me the confidence to do it I suppose was was feed Feedback and coaching from my own manager in the run up to this, but also from a couple of really trusted peers who were removed from the subject matter of the presentation. You know, they they were coming to a cold. They were really able to give me honest feedback on on whether my points made sense or if they were landing or not. And and I mean, the feedback I got was, you know, it wasn't just, you're great, you're brilliant, you know, you've got this. It was, "Hmm, I I don't know if I follow you there or are you sure you want to say it that way? And at the time, while devastating, it was actually so important to to get that kind of feedback because it meant when I came to delivering that big presentation I was really solid on all the preparatory work that I'd done and I had done my homework so you know from this experience as daunting as it might have been at the time it was a really formative one and I think it, it definitely helped my confidence grow as I, as I took on other challenges and other speaking engage, engagements but most importantly I think it embedded in me a sense of, of faith in my abilities I suppose and, and, and with that it's, it's given me confidence to lead more effectively.
0: And you were obviously then pushed out of your comfort zone actually initially and you know while initially you were uncomfortable about that you you kind of embraced that you, you went the right way about it you, you sought feedback and you programmed that, that back into, into your performance at the time so as even as a leader you pushed yourself you pushed your own boundaries Fiona what about yourself have you had a very formative leadership experience that, that you can share with our listeners
3: yes I guess and it was interesting just listening to Jenny and Mary Elizabeth and just reflecting on my own background and I would say that there was probably two spring to mind and one was when I was quite young. And I had just been elected to Newbridge Town Council. Having been elected then to the Town Council, I was asked, would I be interested in going over to Washington to take part in an Emerging Young Leaders Forum? And this just blew my mind, as you can imagine. And I went over, subsequently got to spend St. Patrick's Day in the White House. But one of the there was there was two parts to that. We were doing a study week in the University of Maryland. And what I really, really learned from that was a very simple thing. Now we were there with people representing parties in Northern Ireland and America and the Republic of Ireland and the whole idea being that this was before the Good Friday Agreement that if these are young people within their parties now and if they have the opportunity to be leaders within their parties then they may have the opportunity to affect and bring about change and for example one of those was Arlene Foster she was representing her party. But the one thing that really stood out for me was that everybody has the capacity to be a leader no matter where they are in their own community, in their own workplace. And that, that, was, that really resonated with me. I didn't really see myself as a leader at that point in time. But then just that whole notion of empowerment for me, that became a very strong message for me and a strong message for me to give others. And part of that process, we had to give a presentation on St. Patrick's Day in the White House in in the caucus room. And I focused on that whole idea of collaboration and people working together. And, And that was a very formative, very formative moment, I would say for me. The second thing I would say, and it's not political, I worked with Special Olympics for a while. And I worked, I set up the host time program for the 2003 Special Olympics. It's an area I've always been interested in. I have a brother who's Down syndrome. And I thought the fact the World Games were coming to Ireland, I really wanted to get involved in that. And Mary Davis, who's an absolutely incredible person, terrific leader. I met her and there was the opportunity to work on, on a program. So she said to me, I know you can do this. And it really was to to go out to recruit 180 towns around Ireland, match them with countries, develop a training programme for them. It was all on one page. And I was sort of I can never do that. But Mary said, I know you can do this. I know you can go out and you can talk to people. You can get them involved. And this is going to make such an incredible difference to the not just the island of Ireland, but to all of those with intellectual disability in Ireland, because it's going to bring about acceptance, et cetera. So I, that that was a very formative and interesting experience for me. And I learned a huge amount from that as well.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. It's almost like, you know, the capacity to be a leader is almost infectious if, if, if somebody is there to, to push mm-hmm. you. And do you think, Fiona you went to America and, you know, you were told that everybody could be a leader. Was that a very American concept? Do you think that's something that we're reluctant to do here in Ireland? Or was that something you were familiar with anyway? No, that's a good
3: point you make. And maybe it was because it was in America. I certainly yeah. was not conscious of that here. I'm, I'm the eldest of 11 children myself. So it was always like, you know, everybody getting stuck into whatever needed to be done. But I, I never, ever looked at the concept of myself as leading change or inspiring change okay and so it was it was a completely new concept to me and the fact and I've actually said that to so many people all of my life ever since if people doubted themselves in terms of things that they were doing or you know women running for election for example I've often gone back to that you are a leader and you can inspire people and don't ever feel that you're not good enough to be a leader you are but but it it goes back to what jenny said it's about that confidence in yourself and i developed that and i'm, I'm certainly not saying i'm the most confident person in the world i'm not but there are times when you know you just have to steal the grit and yeah. you just have to say you know i i can lead on this project and sometimes it just takes one person to take that initiative and take that can say, look, I'm putting my hand up. I am going to challenge this situation. And you'll find a lot of people will support and collaborate in terms of that challenge. But sometimes it just needs that one person to put their hand up. And sometimes your heart can be in your mouth in relation to it. Yeah. But, it's, but it's important to find what you're passionate about and that will give you the opportunity to lead on something relating to that.
0: Well, I'm I'm certainly in the company of some very brave women, Mary Elizabeth, with, with all the challenges she faced um, for a very prolonged period during the financial crisis. Jenny, with, with her experience and, and pushing her boundaries and Fiona, with what you've just talked to us about, encouraging you being encouraged and you encouraging others. So just moving on slightly, and I'm, I'm with uh, regulators and legislators here. So um, this is something I'm, I, I know you'll have a lot to say about. Um, how important are values in leadership? And can you tell me what are your two or three most important values that you live by in your leadership roles?
1: I mean, I think maybe contextually, you know, in terms of working for the central bank, our, our values naturally underpin how we interact with each other. They They reflect our aspirations in terms of how we want to be as an organisation. And for ourselves and and ultimately the community we serve. And I think maybe just as I said, contextually, just to to reference a couple of those first before I think about ones personally, because they do dovetail. So, so first of all, we talk about integrity and care, and and Jenny mentioned integrity earlier. So, you know, what we do is right, that our actions match our words, and and we care about people. The, The second is courage and humility, so that we act with conviction. We're prepared to innovate or adapt depending on the circumstance and and we are always looking to listen and learn and and thirdly is teamwork and excellence um, so that we focus on achieving quality outcomes we harness our strengths as a collective Uh, we seek diverse perspectives and and we draw discipline in, in, in how we execute and so I think and maybe if I answer from the perspective of I suppose a leader in the, in the public service but I think they're the kind of context that around me in terms of the place that I work that I spend a lot of time in I think first of all for me I'm quite driven by a sense of purpose so I, I have a keen public sector ethic and I think a general commitment to doing the right thing so as you would know that our mission is about uh, serving the public interest. Also, when I think about, you know, achieving something and improving something, I think for me, a sense that you continue to add value, whether that's me, my team, part of the senior team within the central bank, that we're delivering on outcomes that are moving the organization forward or ultimately delivering on our, our mandates. That That's why we're here. And then to act with conviction and integrity, I think words that have been peppered through our conversation up to now. So, you know, thinking about your own internal compass uh, and just having the courage, of your convictions through what can be, you know, difficult situations
0: and and difficult times. And Jennifer, you know, as, as another regulator, I, I take it your approach would be broadly the same, but where would you differentiate yourself?
2: Yeah, I, I think very broadly the same as Mary Elizabeth. I mean, I think she hit the nail on the head in the sense that values are, are twofold in a, in a business context or in our, in our um, scenario in a public sector context, you have the values that define an organisation and, and, and show stakeholders, whether whether internal or external, what that organisation is all about. And I think those values tend to influence, you know, the culture and the climate of the workplace. And then you have the values that define you as an individual and define you as a leader. And I think these values essentially guide your decision-making and, and they shape the type of leader that, that you want to be. And if you're authentic, again, coming back to authentic, if you're authentic as a leader, these values will shine through and they'll, they'll be apparent... To to those that you're leading but I do think as Mary Elizabeth pointed out it's important that our values as leaders are compatible with our organization's values and because yeah. when they when these two marry so to speak we're able to lead with greater clarity around you know who we are and what objective or, or vision we're working towards and I think you know when we work with and, and lead with these values in mind you know we can often reduce struggle and, and stress at work because the values essentially offer us a guiding foundation if you if you want to call it that that we can use to to orientate ourselves and, and orientate our our aims and our decisions. So I think values are absolutely a necessity uh, for both a leader and and an organization.
0: Fiona what would you say are your two guiding values in your work as a, as as a leader?
3: Because you know I'm slightly different from Mary Elizabeth and Jenny in that there's both the personal and, and the the political as in you know, the party that you belong to, etc. My very first, say, gut response to this is something I remember my mother writing, I think when I was about 12. And you know, when we go through that stage of having the autograph books and you're going to Irish college and you're getting everybody's autographs and people are writing deep and meaningful verses, you know, and you'll be best friends for the rest of your life and all that. And I always remember my mother writing to thine own self be true and then thou canst be false to any man. And that's certainly something that's hugely important to me. And that goes back to integrity and it goes back to authenticity. And unfortunately, in the political world, people in politics are not considered to be authentic or have integrity at the moment. And that's really, really difficult because you find yourself battling all the time against this. Perception that people have that politicians that they're they're really down at the bottom of the ladder, but they are values that inform me, that guide me, that practically every decision that I will take, all my own decisions are guided by being authentic, by integrity. And I think the the other value, and I'm not sure whether you describe it as a value or not, but I think it's important when you're dealing with people is just empathy. You know, being empathic, trying to understand where people
0: are coming from. What has helped to get you to where you are? What do you feel has helped you get to where you are? For me I'll focus a little bit on the who as well as the what
1: if that's all, all yeah. right uh, because I, th- I think that's quite important. I mean certainly um, Fiona mentioned her mom and and I would say you know my parents uh, certainly have been a big part of the who come from a very strong work ethic. Uh, my father was a, a policeman and re- he's a retired detective. They were very keen in education to a third level but also in terms of of kind of extracurricular activities, so you know, kind of making you rounded, and um, <clears throat> very keen to say, you know, no matter what happens, just keep going, don't give up. Which <clears throat> I've certainly drawn on many times. Um, but but also, I mean, I, on the what I mean, I think I mentioned education. I I do think you know my qualifications have certainly uh, helped me in terms of pr- progression uh, through my career, and you know, some of my uh, some of my experience from a postgraduate perspective were directly relevant to the world of work that that I find myself in in now. I I think it's also about, we've all spoken about confidence. I think really having confidence in yourself. And sometimes when you doubt yourself in terms of that confidence, take the confidence that someone else has in you. So Fiona mentioned about Mary Davis, to do it, you know. So when you have that moment of doubt, if someone else believes in you, I think that is I think it really propels you in terms of momentum but I mean I think you can't substitute hard work I think resilience is a big word now but I think you know having that that resilience and persevering in the face of pressure I think it's also really important that you try and keep calm you know you you need to be steadying when you know, you're in a leadership position. People are looking to you for, for direction. But then, I mean, I think ultimately recognizing when you need to ask for help and then that you ask for that help. Know when you don't know all the answers and collaborate with others and, and forge those relationships. Uh, you know, th- for me, the, the central banks a really supportive workplace and and one that if you are committed to, um, you can thrive. Um, I think I probably couldn't finish, finish my response to you without saying, for me, in terms of where I've got to, you need the support at home. So my husband is usually supportive in terms of what I look to achieve. I've I have two young daughters who have were forced to listen to all the news about Brexit over the last um, couple of years. So I, I think that support at home is is also also really important.
0: Jennifer, what is the one piece of practical advice you would give to someone starting out or seeking to be in a in a leadership position for the first time?
2: That's an interesting question. I, I suppose. The main thing I'd say to someone starting out is to be open to change and be flexible because you can always apply what you've learned in one context to another. So, for me personally, I, I changed career paths quite drastically um, four years ago from an in house translation role to the world of the civil service and data protection. So, in, in no way related. Um, I was in a job and in an industry that I loved, but there was very little scope for progression in that field. And I've always been a very ambitious person, and I, I knew it wasn't going to be for me in the long run. So while I while I loved the job at the time, I made the difficult decision to, to change careers entirely, which was something that was, frankly, very scary at the time. I, I'd spent six years studying in the field and then a further five years working in the industry. But I suppose the lesson learned there was that having that ability to to push myself and take myself out of my comfort zone actually did lead to the betterment of my career, because this move gave me the opportunity to progress. and it's it continues to give me give me the opportunity to progress but what i learned was really that skills that i had acquired in in my previous field and in that previous sector communication skills you know analysis and decision making all of that will stand to me no matter where i go or what i'm doing so i guess the main piece yeah. of advice would be not to be afraid to make that change and, and and have confidence in in your ability and and know that you know you're bringing value wherever you go so i think that's that's just the major thing I would say and then another piece of kind of smaller advice I suppose would be to expand your network and seek out mentors in different areas of the industry or, or your organization and mentors don't actually have to be managers or more senior people you know they can be peers it's just once it's someone who you know will give you open and honest feedback and, and won't sugarcoat things but these kind of peer mentors can be incredibly effective and I think it's just really important to have people or, or someone there to, to act as a sounding board for you as you as you progress through your career.
0: So take risks and seek out mentors along the way. Then, Fiona, what has been your most difficult challenge as a leader? What's been the most frustrating and perhaps persistent challenge? And have you cracked it yet? There's
3: been many challenges along the way, and I think that ability to be flexible, as Jenny said, has probably stood me in in good stead. Um, the biggest challenge I think was back in 2015 when I really felt that there was an opportunity to contest to win a seat in the general election of that year and I felt I had I was involved in politics as in you know I was involved at a local level I had done I, and I I I was mayor of the county actually just finishing being mayor which was a role that I thoroughly enjoyed and absolutely saw that as a very empowering time as well to be an ambassador for your county but i felt that there was an opportunity and of course there was a particular male hell-bent on stopping me in absolutely whatever way he could and succeeded for a year and then not long before the election he ran out of rope and i was on the ticket and i won a seat so that that was a, a challenge and i probably learned a lot about myself during that. That was a a tough battle, but then four years later, I had the battle of retaining that seat And lost by 150 votes. And again, that was difficult like two full days of account where you're there surrounded by the people who went out, walked the walk, talked the talk for you. And all the signs were that I was going to be okay. And then at the last minute, it just didn't happen. So that period in itself and picking picking myself up my team of looking at options deciding then to contest for the senate and being successful in that but like that was another tough campaign on top of the tough campaign yeah. so uh the way but I was uh, you know I've always been surrounded by good people and certainly by good women women that were not necessarily political but believed in me and I needed to have their belief in me to make a difference in their county and their community
0: So you really had to learn how to deal with with setbacks and, mm. and, and learn from them and 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 do better um, or, or do different next time yes um, and you know that that has been a theme actually of the of this podcast you know we have been you know we've been reflecting on how you, you know the, the the necessity of of growing um from your challenges elizabeth what leadership behaviors do you expect from your team members that you really want to see them pushing out and demonstrating? Uh,
1: I see a lot of really outstanding leadership behaviours in my own team and that's that's kind of across a spectrum of uh, responsibilities going to in challenging circumstances as I think we all face at times in, in our roles. I think my expectations of my team are are broadly similar to what I'd expect of myself and they're linked to uh, the values that I, I mentioned earlier. Ultimately for me it's about being very outcome focused so we're, we're clear in terms of what we're trying to achieve and that goes to some of the points that we spoke about in terms of communications and clarity of expectations you know that everybody understands where's the destination we're trying to to get to I think it's really important to be collaborative you will not do everything um, on your own and and in the environment that we're increasingly operating in I think it's also very important that you have an ability to to lead through change, you know, and that you to go to that care point that you have a coaching mindset and that you're interested in the developing the people Mm -hmm. that work with you. But also also I think it's really important to be self-aware, you know, kind of understand what your own kind of watch points are. Red flags might be too strong a word, but you know, that 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 impact that you might might have and that you continue to seek to improve and you challenge we challenge each other. And and we challenge our
0: teams. Taking that theme of of continuing to to grow, Jennifer, what are the leadership qualities that you're continuing to work on yourself?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, personally, I don't think you're ever finished um learning. And I I think effective leaders, you know, continue to to hone their skills throughout their career. I don't think you'll ever get to a point one day where say, okay, great, you know, I've got this communication thing nailed down. What's next? Because, you know, next day you, you very may well encounter a peer or or, or a team member or external stakeholder who has a completely different communication style to you and to anything you've encountered before and you'll have to adapt in order to be able to connect this person or or get your message across so I suppose what I'm saying is I think leaders should be continuing to work on all aspects of, of their leadership qualities on an ongoing basis um, and I think the day you think you're finished with one aspect is, is probably the day that you'll, you'll get tripped up but I was bringing it back to to Myself, one one specific area that I'm continuing to work, I'd say, um, is assertiveness. And I think that's something that comes with time and with experience, developing your, your technical expertise, continue to confidence to, to lead by example which we've talked about a little bit throughout this podcast and I I mean I still at a relatively early stage in in my leadership career so I'm confident that that this will come with with time and experience um, and it's something that will come more naturally but that's something I'm 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 working on
0: Fiona we've we've heard a lot in in the podcast about empathy effective communication listening, engendering trust, which I think would be associated very much as female attributes. Jennifer's just talked about assertiveness, possibly more what's seen as male, and but also you know, she is clearly a risk taker, which is again a male, would be associated with being a male attribute. Um, What would you say as the positives for women in a leadership role?
3: I've learned so much already from Jenny and Mary Elizabeth that I'm just thinking that I need to apply to myself going forward. In terms of the positive, I think the fact that generally I think we are very collaborative or more collaborative maybe than men um and i i i think that is an asset and i think it's very important i think that we can't underestimate it particularly in terms of and i don't mean this in terms of trying to get people on your side in relation to things but if if you have a particular position and you work with other people in a collaborative way to get everybody going in the same direction I think that you have a much better chance of achieving it possibly women are more loyal to one another Uh, I think loyalty is important in terms of that team building aspect as a leader developing that loyalty among the team of people that surround you in terms of then other feminine, I'm trying to think even in terms of working with a group of women. I'm the chair of the women's caucus in the Arctus, and what I'm trying to build there, and I and I think it is working and. and that, in a lot of thanks to our former chair, Catherine Martin, our minister, is just building a safe space where people can come in and talk about issues that are important on the political agenda. But we're trying to depoliticise them in terms of not necessarily taking a party position that if there is something that's going to be contentious, we don't put it on the table to talk about it. Um, so, for example, period poverty was one of the key issues that we brought forward in the last doll, and now it's in the programme for government because of that. And there are other issues that we're discussing at the moment, you know, maintenance for women, etc. So once we know that we have a, a committed goal, like ne- this Thursday and Monday, we're having debates in the Dawn and the Shannon in relation to the impact of COVID on women because women have been impacted differently because of homeschooling, because of the majority of those working in healthcare and retail are women and then because of the increase in domestic violence. So once we are agreed that we can have debate and try to get a common achievement from what we're discussing we can really go places with it as well, too. And I think that may be easier for women to do than men.
1: Uh, Cathy, I mean, one thing that also just strikes me, if I can, in, in relation to this is that I think it's also really important that, you know, we continue to be vigilant around ensuring that we're not just focused on women in leadership and that there's that, you know, representation and equality at all levels. Uh, you know, to ensure that those good decisions are happening throughout the organisation, you know, long before a proposal has, has come to the this, the senior table. Um, I, I think that's really important in terms of that kind of vi- vigilance. And, and, and I suppose those of us that are in leadership roles, I suppose, have a responsibility there in that regard.
0: We are here celebrating women's achievements and to keep up the struggle for equality. The last year has seen a real focus on female leadership, how that has brought different and, in almost all cases, better outcomes in the specific challenges of the pandemic. Our regulators in Ireland have benefited for a long time from strong female leadership with the central bank's director general of financial conduct, Derva Rowland, and deputy governor Sharon Donnery, and with yourself, Mary Elizabeth, and with Gráinne McAvoy and Shauna Cunningham in high profile leadership positions. Our data protection supervisory authority has been led for a number of years by Helen Dixon at a time when the prominence and risk of data protection has grown, not just with GDPR, but also with challenges faced by anyone holding that position with the arrival of big tech firms in Ireland. And the Octus has seen a female impact that has been out of proportion to the numerical representation. So, Mary Elizabeth, how has your organisation, the Central Bank, benefited from a female perspective?
1: Well, uh, you mentioned um, so many of my excellent colleagues there, uh, Kathy, and I'm going to defer to one of them, actually, um, in terms of something Sharon Donnery said a couple of years ago, because while you depicted the picture, that's the as is. Uh, yeah. I think it's important to say that things weren't always so. Um, um, and not so long ago either. And Sharon spoke a couple of years ago where she she joined the organization about a year ahead of me in 1996. And at that point in time, we had uh, 600 full-time staff, uh, 13 divisions and a senior management team of eight people. And if you pull down the organizational chart, you would see that there were no women on the senior management team. And there wasn't even a woman at a, at a head of division level. And The norm was that leaders in the Central Bank of Ireland were were male. And, you know, Sharon speaks to the fact that that was due to a number of factors, you know, history, culture in Ireland uh, culture also in the discipline of economics and then culture within the the central bank itself and that the effects of that although they were subtle definitely affected her in the fact that there were no female uh, role models, no one she could aspire to be. Now all that changed thankfully um, in in 2001 when a, a woman was appointed the first female head of division in the central bank, now that's 20 years ago and that ultimately changed her point of reference and I know the reference points of many other senior women in the organisation I would say including myself and I just couldn't agree more with uh, with Sharon's uh, sentiments there that I think while we are certainly benefiting from strong female leadership and role models which then encourages other women to apply and put themselves forward for leadership positions it wasn't so long ago where that was
0: not I suppose the profile of our organization. Jennifer, how has your organization benefited from a female lead from the top?
2: Yeah, well, I, I suppose there's there's always been um, a strong female leadership presence in the DPC. Um, and this was something I found particularly inspiring when I joined four years ago at a, a much more junior level. And it's still the case today today, We have approximately 60-40 split in favour of women from senior management level upwards. I guess this female perspective is also evident across the the wider department as well. So with the secretary general role and the minister for justice role, both filled by women. In fact, Minister Helen McEntee is the first cabinet member to be pregnant while in office. So again, there's been strong leadership, female leadership, I should say, um, presence across my own organization and and the wider department too for, for some time. But I think it's important to, to say that it's it's not necessarily as much about having a female perspective at the top as it is about having a balance of perspectives mm. um, and backgrounds at senior management And I think that's something the DPC has benefited from hugely over the last few years. I mean, the very nature of the, of the DPC's work requires such an array of different backgrounds. So from legal expertise and policy analyst experts, technologists, Communications experts, investigators. I mean, having a room full of people of the same gender, similar backgrounds, or, or similar lived experiences is going to naturally result in kind of a groupthink scenario where, you know, only one facet of a crisis might be considered or, or only one type of, of solution to a problem might be identified. But, but when you have different voices and different perspectives around the table, I think this will inevitably lead to much more creativity. Um, much more innovation and, and just more diverse thinking in general. So uh, while having a female at, at the top is is absolutely inspiring uh, to, to young women starting out, and, and it certainly was for me, I, I think... It's just as important to look at having a balance of of perspectives and backgrounds um, across senior management
0: levels. Yes, and and hopefully we will get to the position where it won't be a thing anymore that that there is a female heading an organisation. Fiona, have you got a, a final message for younger women starting out wanting to make their mark on the world?
3: Just before I answer that in particular, just, you know, coming from the male dominated situation, Leinster House where we've never had a female Taoiseach, we've never had a female minister for finance, I think it does go back to having that balanced perspective. But there's two women I want to particularly mention, and that's both the first and the second female ministers that we had, albeit 60 years in between. And when Constance Markovich was a minister, she addressed a group of young women um, they were called the Women's Library Association in 1911. And she said to them at the time, go and vo- find your voice and use it. And I think that's still relevant 110 years later, it's about going out, finding your voice and using it. And then the second minister was Maura Gagan quinn who became a minister uh, 60 years after Markovic. And she, at the time, showed incredible bravery in terms of, and it's quite shocking to think that it's only about 27 years ago now, um, that homosexuality was still a criminal act at that point and it was actually a very brave move at that stage to decriminalize it and I think that you know we all would take that lesson of equality and supporting others and ensuring that we live in a world that is equal Um, so I think in terms of the advice I'd give to young women it's it's find your voice it's it's And I don't mean find your place in terms of, you know, find your niche more than your place. Be true to yourself. Adopt that flexible approach and just develop a good work and research ethic about what you're passionate about
1: and the rest will follow.
0: Thanks, Fiona. And what about yourself, Mary Elizabeth? What was Um, your message to younger women?
1: Sure, Kathy. I mean, I think one of the areas in terms of starting out in your career, um, uh, I know Jenny spoke to it earlier. I mean, from a micro perspective, I would be, I would be in the space of, of course, within reason, but you know, say yes to as much as you can. You know, be open because you'll, you'll never know when where that meeting, that engagement, that job you do is going to bring you and the opportunities that that might open up for you. And I think all also, you know, not to dismiss an idea or just because you're not sure how it's going to be implemented, just, just kind of being very open from that perspective. But but I suppose more specifically, and you mentioned it earlier, that, you know, the International Women's Day theme of choose to challenge, I, I don't think could be more appropriate for certainly myself as a regulator, compliance professionals and and, and risk managers and, and your own association. I mean, at, at the core of of our own effectiveness is being able to deliver effective and timely challenge. And I spoke about just having the courage, your convictions. So I think there's some really important messages about, you know, how you challenge assumptions, how you interrogate plans and proposals, and as supervisors, how we challenge the firms about the, the, the risks that they're taking on or, or how they go about managing those risks. There's also a, a personal message about, you know, choosing to challenge inequality where we see it uh, and, and challenging ourselves to, to step outside of our, our comfort zone and challenge structures that continue to, you know, perpetuate um, inequalities or, or a lack of inclusion.
0: And Jennifer, have you any final thoughts on on our message for for younger women starting out?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, picking up on, on that point that Mary Elizabeth made about, you know, not being afraid to to step out of your comfort zone. For me, the the, the biggest point I would make is don't be afraid to make changes and take risks in terms of your career path and, and seek out colleagues or peers as sounding boards that you can trust and who will help you grow and, and develop in your career? Because I think the main thing that people need to know is, you know, you need to know your worth and you need to know that you're bringing something unique and valuable to the table, no matter what table that might be. And
0: for, for my part, I have found leadership in perhaps the most surprising and unexpected of places. I believe our young people have led the way in the sphere of of climate justice, Greta Thunberg being an obvious example, but our, our own young people have taken up that cause and made it their own. And also through the pandemic, despite a time The less than responsible examples set by more mature members of society are young people. Despite the blight on their education and on their young lives and on important years in their lives, they have been really stoic. And something my own father always said and always says to me today is, "You must always keep facing forward. Don't dwell on the past." So, with that, I believe the future is safe in their hands. On that (laughs) inspiring note. um, I want to thank you, Mary Elizabeth, Jennifer and Fiona for for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed our discussion and you've given some really insightful perspectives on leadership on this International Women's Day. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.